You don't just want a theory. You don't just want uh, a sent to information, but you do want to make sure that your Christian perspective, the Christian truth that you have is relevant and practical. So with that being said, you guys have been familiar with what's going on in the United States right now, right? You, you're probably, it's on the news everywhere. You had uh, George Floyd who was killed by a officer with his knee on his neck. And the interpretation of that behavior was that it was a racist. Now, whether it's racist or not, I'm, I'm not going there. But it was an unjust death. Uh, no man has the right to take another man's life without due process. And he was killed. And from that, that was wrong. And then there was were protests, and there are protests taking place. And these protests are protesting injustices that are done in the land. And yes, there are injustices done in the land. But for some reason, some have taken this opportunity to not only protest, but to riot and destroy other property. And they have taken this as an opportunity to go into Target and steal all their TVs or to go and do all these other random things that are a violation of not only state law, but they are a violation of God's law. And some are justifying these behaviors by saying, you know what? After all these years of oppression and slavery, of course, they have the right to do these things. And I, I hear these things. I understand where they're trying to come from. But the reality is, my friends, the issues that we're dealing with come down to the simplicity of not understanding and applying the gospel in our daily lives. Some people think it's a skin problem, but really it is a sin problem. Did you get that? Some folks think it is a skin problem, huh? but in reality, it's deeper than the surface level. It is a sin problem. And if we can get that in our minds and have this in our minds, then the actions that we take going forward, whether it be where you are, whether it be here in the States, the actions that we take to deal with the issue of sin will have to come from a spiritual place. And if we're going to deal with it from a spiritual place, we must know God's solution. And I've been harping this over and over again, whether it be COVID-19 or whether it be the race issues or whether it be sex trafficking, whatever the issue is, the application of the truth, the solution is found in the gospel. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to go and I'm going to go to the book of John, John chapter 17. Go there with me for a moment. John chapter 17. And this is the last prayer. Well, not the last prayer, but the last prayer before Jesus is taken captive. John 17, he says a prayer, and I want to key in on a few parts of this prayer. We're told in inspiration that this prayer in John 17 is the heart prayer of Jesus in the most holy place right now. And so in John 17, we begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. 
And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So you notice there, right in the prayer, Jesus says something that's interesting. Many have quantified eternal life by how long life is to be, like it's everlasting life, right? But in this passage, Jesus doesn't quantify eternal life. He qualifies it. Now, what do I mean? He says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee. The knowledge of God is here defined as eternal life. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So if you want eternal life, the object is not how long we live. The object is who we know. Does that make sense? The object is not how long we live, though we will live forever. The object is who we know. And as we press in to know God, then we will have life and we will have it more abundantly. Now, stay with this thought. We're going to keep reading. The Bible says in verse four, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What, what work is that? And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept my word. Powerful. Thine they were, but thou gavest them me, and they have kept that they've held on to it. They have treasured my word. Now Jesus is about to leave. He's leaving these persons as his representatives. Now I'm going to get down here to a particular portion of the prayer. And it says in verse number 14, verse number 14, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Okay, for a moment, stay with me on this. Jesus is praying a prayer, and he's telling in his prayer, he's talking to the Father, and he says to the Father, I have given them the word, and the world is going to hate them because they have the word. Now, how many of you are really ready to be hated? Are you ready for to be hated? Like, that's like a thing, like to be hated. Like, do you look forward to being hated? Have you figured out how you're going to cope with that hatred? So the reality is, nah, nobody's really looking forward to be hated. But if you don't know, it's, it's interesting. If you pay attention, you know how Jesus is walking through his life with the disciples and Jesus is telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And it's almost like when he actually begins to go through the process, they act surprised. Like, like he never told them anything. So here Jesus is telling us in John 17, when you have the word, the world will hate you. You have to embrace everything Jesus says. We can't just take the fluffy stuff that feels good, right? We got to take everything because it's going to prepare us for what we're about to be thrown into. And we're going to be thrown into it very shortly. So the world hates those who hold on and keep the word.
Now watch. Verse 15. It says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he's like, I'm out of this world. I'm not even from this planet. <laughs> you're a new believer. You're a new creature. You're not of the world. Your mindset is not of the world. The way you process your, your finances is not like the world. The way you educate your children is not like the world. The way you dress is not like the world. The world has a way of functioning, and the believer has a different way of functioning as they are totally committed to Christ. But the thing is, the trick is, the, the, the issue is, we kind of are like the world. We do like the world. We don't know anything different from what the world does and what the world says to do, how the world says to think. I was talking to a friend of mine right before I got on the phone here. And I was talking to him about what the major movements that have been transpiring in the past few months. They're not small movements. I've only been alive for 41 years. That's it. Only 41 years. And I've been, I have never seen massive movements one after the other. So COVID, right? COVID-19, that is a global movement that literally everybody had to stay in the house all over the world. That That's never happened. Never in Earth's history have you had to quarantine healthy people. Never. They've never done that in science anywhere else. But now, for some reason, you they say, hey, everybody, you need to go in your house. Well, why? Why? What's going on? What's happening? And then on top of that, and I'm, not, and I'm not speaking to any conspiracy. What I'm speaking to is the reality of what happened. And then what we have also now, there's a death in America. This death did not just spark protests in America. You have protests all around the world. So you got to start thinking, brothers and sisters, if the world is responding in mass in, in this direction, in this way, the believers should stop and say, wait a minute. What's going on? Because we are not of the world. We are of the word. Huh? So the person that's of the word has to look at the, the, the events of the world through that prism. If they don't, then they could be caught up in whatever movements that are happening and they think they're doing what God wants. But in reality, they're just mimicking the world. We got to be careful. We got to pay attention. See, to be a Christian is a whole other thing. The Bible says that when we become Christians, we are new creatures. We're not ordinary folks. We are wiser than the average person, not because we're naturally wise, but because the scripture, the word of God, puts us in a position to look at life differently, to function differently, to respond to mass protests differently, to respond to health crisis differently. The Bible gives us that advantage. I'll give you a couple of examples. You, you follow me with this. Biblical examples. First example is Joseph. Remember Joseph? God gives Joseph wisdom. And in Joseph having this wisdom, when there was a drought in the land, when there was a famine in the land, Joseph was so connected, so in tune with the blueprint of heaven that he knew exactly what to do and was able to influence an entire nation. 
where are the Josephs of our day? What about Daniel? You know Daniel, right? Daniel's taken as a slave in, in Babylon. His faithfulness to God, his, his, his deep, vital connection with the Most High, his faithfulness in chapter 1 makes him have the ability to interpret dreams in chapter two, to interpret dreams in chapter seven, to break them down so that, or, and, and to break them down in such a manner that he is now risen to the top of the chain, just under the great King Nebuchadnezzar and whomever followed. Both Joseph and Daniel, what Daniel was in his day and what Joseph was in his day, we are to be in our day, not reflecting the fears of this world, but to be at the head and not the tail. And in doing so, my friends, we receive, we, we, we will be an example to the world of our great God. But the more we reflect and the more we respond and the more we are mimickers and echo chambers of the world's ideas, we are no longer reflecting God, but we are reflecting the voice of a panicked society. So they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, Jesus says. Now watch this, watch this. It says in verse number 17, verse 17 of John chapter 17, the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Well, how is a person sanctified, my friends? Through the truth. You're not sanctified outside the truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So there's a, there's a necessity of spending time in the word. There's a necessity not just in the word, but the person of the word. Who's the person of the word? Jesus says, I am the word, right? So you're spending time with the Bible, with the scriptures to know more of a person, not just to know a doctrine, not just to teach a position, not just to argue a point, but you are to know the word, to know a person. And if you know the person, then you have eternal life. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Not just mental ascent to information. Let me give an example of mental ascent to information. Mental ascent to information. The seventh day is the Sabbath. Well, that's mental ascent to information. When you die, you are dead, and you wait in the grave until Jesus returns. That's mental ascent to information. Jesus is in the most holy place in the sanctuary above, and he's dealing with the issue of sin, and he's going to cleanse sin out of the sanctuary. That is mental ascent to information, great information, but information alone will not save anybody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There has to be a point where the believer not just mentally ascends, but by faith accepts and applies the truth in their lives so that that information becomes transformative. It makes me a new creature. Someone says, how do we deal with the issue of racism? I tell you how to deal with the issue of racism. If you know Jesus the way you're supposed to know him, then you will know that all men have been made of one blood. So when I see you, I see a child of God. When I talk to you, I see a child of God. I see a sister of God. I see a brother of God. I see children of God. Yes. Somebody says, well, I don't see color. Well, that wouldn't be true. <laughs> we, all, we can all see with our eyes. Color exists, brothers and sisters. God is giving color so that we can enjoy the beauty of the, of the uniqueness of each of us and each of our cultures and so forth and so on. So you should see color. You should see culture. But your love amen, allows for you to embrace culture and embrace color. That's why God gave rainbows. If he just wanted no color, he would have just gave us no color. 
but he gave us color because he knows it's beautiful. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So that they may be one. Now watch, my friends. I'm gonna. We're gonna take a. We're 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 just beginning our study. We haven't even started yet. I mean, we're just beginning our study. Watch what happens now. Look at verse 18. It says, "As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world." Well, wait a second. What do you mean, as you have sent me? Jesus sent the Son into the world to demonstrate the character of the Father. And the Son comes into the world to be a suffering servant. Like he literally comes not to serve himself, not to look out for his own, but he literally comes from the Most High and he lowers himself, takes on the form of men. Now think about this. And I, I, I say this often in different talks, but I just think it, 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 it just makes the point. So... God, angels, man. Okay, so God becomes a man. So God is above us. Angels are above us. And then he's made himself a little lower than the angels. That's being a man. So let's take three steps down for us. Okay, let's, let's start with man. Let's go man, mammals, bugs. You choose which bug you want to be. Uh-huh. What 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 bug are you gonna choose to be right now? You gonna you gonna be a, a worm? You gonna be a, a a fly? You wanna be a, 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 a what what bug? He said a butterfly. Come on now, <laughs> but it's a bug. Just think of the step that would have been taken to do that. Hmm? God became man. What a thought. So just like the father, the father, I'll read it again. It says, as thou hast sent me into the world, God to man. So I send them into the world. We come in at a lower position, brothers and sisters. We don't come in arrogant. We don't come in proud. You know, some folks beat their chest. I'm a seventh day Adventist. Well, calm that down. Calm down. Calm down. It should be humble. Right? No pride, no arrogancy in that. Just... Just humble and grateful that God chose you. Hmm? Humble and grateful that God in his, in his mercy, I tell you it has to be mercy because I don't know about you, but I, I have not been a perfect man, okay? God has been merciful. That's why we're saved by grace. That's why we're saved by the blood of the lamb because he's merciful. I don't think there's anybody on this thing that has never sinned. I don't think there's anybody on this on this video that has never done anything wrong. I don't think there's anybody that's walked this earth from birth to death and never. And if you think you have, that's that's where you messed up already. Right. We need a savior. So as he was sent into the world, so we are now sent into the world. What a humbling thought. Then watch what it says in verse 18 again. Even so, have I also sent them into the world. Verse 19. And for their sakes, sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. There it is again. You're sanctified through the truth. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. 
that they all may be one. Stay there. Stay there. That they all may be one. So this is the objective of everything we read prior to verse 21. The objective of everything Jesus is saying is that he desires that they all may be one. Now, if he said that and left it there, then we could just be like, okay, yeah, we're one, rah, rah. But no, watch what he says. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Okay. This just changed the whole game. <laughs> so we're not just talking about oneness, how we talk about oneness, like kumbaya, everybody come together, let's have a party. That's not the oneness that we're talking about. The oneness that we're talking about is on the level of God oneness. Like As I am in my father and the father is in me, I want them to be one in us that the world may believe. So the stakes are high. The stakes are high. So the world will never believe until we are one. Does everybody get that? So listen to me. I'm going to press this home. And it's beautiful that you guys are on Zoom. That means you kind of like each other, I think. I don't know. I would pray you do. There's this, there's this strange thing that I've, I've found over the years as I've traveled from place to place. And I've been in churches. I've helped minister at churches. And it's like... Uh, if I see you once a week, I'm cool. You know, I see you once a week. If you miss a Sabbath, I might think about, okay, they didn't come this week. But okay, we'll just move on with our life. They miss two weeks, but like, oh, I ain't seen them in a while. It, literally 14 days can go by and literally you don't talk to nobody. You don't reach out to nobody. But we're one. We care about each other. If I don't talk to my wife for a whole day, I, I promise you I'm in trouble. Like that, that can't happen. <laughs> my wife would be like, What's your why are you giving me the silent treatment? You, you feel me? Like, if we're one, there's no such thing as taking time unless we agree. Like, baby, I'm gonna be fasting and praying. I'm gonna be studying for three days. You know, pray for me as I'm I'm in the word of God. But to not talk for three days, to not talk for a week, to not talk for two weeks and then come on the Sabbath. But like, girl, I ain't seen you in two weeks. Where you been? No, you should have called the first day you didn't see her. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? Like the oneness that we are talking about has to go beyond the superficial uh, ascent to information. Or we go to the same church. I see you once a week. I might see you twice a week, whatever, and call it a day. No, brothers and sisters, we need to press together. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The superficial religiosity that we got going on needs to go away. The Bible says the first Christians broke bread daily together. Why did they do it daily? They did it daily because they needed each other. I need you. You need me. I need to encourage you in your Christian walk. You know why we're dying in our Christian walk? Because we're trying to walk by ourselves. We don't need to walk by ourselves. We have brothers and we have sisters. Don't we call each other brother and sister? How? When I call you brother, I call you sister. I grew up with my brother, with my sister. You know what I'm saying? That's family. 
And if we can't talk, and there are times you can't talk every day, there's only so much bandwidth that you can have when you have so many friends, right? So you can't talk to 5,000 people every, every month. I understand that. But we got text messages now. Like, literally, I could be like, hi, send you a emoji, a little emoji, a smiley face. Just to stay connected. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, you got a prayer request today? Simple, non-evasive connections. But we have we have believers that are dying spiritually because they are left alone, separated. We one of the things that COVID showed me. And listen, and I'm just being honest. Can I just be 100 with you? I, I'm going to be honest. I literally did not miss church. I'm just saying. I didn't miss it. I mean, I had my wife, I had my daughter, I got some missionaries that live up the street. I really didn't miss it. I was like, what am I going to, when we go back to church, then what are we going to do? We're going to sit around? We're going to do a sermon? Huh? We're just going to, we're just going to, what are we going to do? We're going to go back to the same routine of everything else? I don't want that. Listen, I don't want it. I don't want that life. I don't want that type of experience. I don't want to play games with my Christianity. I don't want to be a, a superficial Christian. I don't want that. I want everything God promises me. I want everything in, in fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I, I want everything in regards to reaching out to my community and being a true impact in my community. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to come to church and just sit there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Clearly, we can have church from our Zoom meetings. You know what I'm saying? We could do that. We could do that. But if we're going to be real, and if we're going to take this to another level, I should I should want to see you. And the thing, the beautiful part is we can be I can be honest and say this to you. And it's OK, because me and God have already had a conversation. We've talked about this. And I said, Father, you know where I where I'm at, where I need to grow. Praise the Lord. Give me love for people because I don't love them like I should. People scare me. <laughs> people can be hurtful. They, they, they may not intend to hurt you, but they do. But because we're not being conscientious in regards to our brothers and sisters, we do that. But that they may be one. That's the prayer. That's the prayer of Jesus. When we are one, this will be evidence that the gospel works. When we are one, it will be evidence that the gospel works. Now, am I saying to compromise in order to be one? No, I'm not saying compromise truth, but I am saying compromise a little petty stuff that we got going on sometimes. I am saying that. There might be some level of compromise. You might like blue seats. I might like red seats. Okay, let's make purple seats. Blue and red together, make purple, right? Let's compromise where we can compromise. Let's come together where we can come together. You like stained glass windows? I like just regular windows. Okay, look, you can have the stained glass windows. Not a big deal. But pride is the, you know, pride is an issue. Pride presents itself. And we find ourselves fighting over these things. Brother Waller, though, but how do we do this? How do we become one? I'm glad you asked. You know, I, I'm glad you, you know, I can read your mind. You, you asked me that question. How do we become one? Well, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's figure that out. First off, let's go to a passage of scripture. I want you to see it. It's in John 
chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we're going to be reading, begin reading at verse 15. Right now we're talking about how how do I how do we become one? How do we come to this place to fulfill the prayer of Christ? Number one, we have to acknowledge that he prayed the prayer, right? And anything short of answering that prayer is unacceptable. That's the first thing. But now John chapter 15, watch John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 15. Watch carefully what the Bible says. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, the Bible says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you. How long, my friends? Forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, these words are not by accident, my friends. Like, these words are intentional. Jesus said these words, and they have an intent. So I'm going to read them one more time. I want to make sure that you get them. Watch what it says again, beginning at verse number 16. Now, verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be, or will be, in you. So, tell me. Is it past, present, or future tense when it says shall be in you? Shall be. Past, present, or future. Past, present, or future. When he says shall be in you. Isn't that future? Exactly, right? That's future tense. Well, that's interesting. Notice again, I'm going to read it again. I want you to catch it because if you miss it, you might miss everything. So I don't want you to miss anything. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because he seeth them not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. Yeah, that's a that's a, proposi pro a propositional word, right? With you, like he's with you, uh, like you're with somebody. And in you, preposition. In you is inside. So with you is around you, hanging out with you. In you is inside. Like he's going to be with you and shall be, future tense, inside. So that tells me something right there, that the Holy Ghost was not in the disciples, but the Holy Ghost was with them. There, there are many Christians who have the Holy Ghost with them, but it's the Holy Ghost in them. Remember the prayer of Christ, that they may be one, even as I am the Father and the Father in me, and I in them, right? That's the Holy Ghost in you. That's the prayer of Christ. And he's saying it again here. So this tells me that there's a point in time in which the Holy Ghost would find itself inside of the disciples. Now watch what Jesus says to know when that would be. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. 
I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Verse 20. At that day. What day? When I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I in you. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. So when the Holy Ghost is poured out, you will know that at that point in time, the Father and me are one, and you are in me, and the Holy Ghost is falling upon them. Make sense? All right. Stay with me on that. Stay with that first point. Go with me now to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Now we're looking at verse number 7. John chapter 16, and we're looking at verse number 7. The Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of, what's it say? Sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Three things. When the Holy Ghost comes upon a person, he's going to reprove them of sin. You know, it's interesting. Many people are praying for the Holy Ghost and they want a good feeling. Mm -hmm. How many of you, when you do something wrong, you like it when someone says you did something wrong? I know I don't. I don't like it at all. One time, true story, true story. Please, you know, hold your giggles. But this is a true story. So true story. I was dating this girl back in the day and uh, she broke up with me. And I didn't understand fully why she broke up with me. She really didn't give me a reason as to why she broke up with me. And eight months later, she sends me a letter. And I'm reading through the letter and she's going through all this stuff. And then she lists these things of why she broke up with me. And one of the things that she listed was that my breath stank. So, so she, she told me my breath stank. That was one of the reasons she broke up. I was like, okay. Now, she wrote it in a letter. She wasn't trying to be mean, right? She wasn't, she wasn't trying to hurt. She wasn't trying to be mean. She was just letting me know one of the things that caused her to break up with me was because of that. Now, I didn't like that she said it, that, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it just didn't feel good. A couple of years later, I was, I think it was my freshman year in college, we were doing some missionary work and some literature evangelism. And so there's a group of us uh, that were meeting before we went out. And the director came to me and he was like, hey, Andre, uh, you got some gum? I was like, no, I don't, I don't have any gum. Why? I don't need any gum. I mean, I don't have any gum. He's like, here. And he gives me the gum, right? So uh, he did it real nice. You know what I mean? It was like super nice. He was trying to be real discreet about it. He wasn't trying to put me on blast. He was just, here, here, you, you can use this. I didn't feel good. Didn't feel good. Not at all. I mean, no one likes to be told that they're wrong. No one likes to be corrected. It's just, you know, it's just a pride thing. We all got it in us somewhere. When the Holy Ghost comes upon us, the Bible says he will reprove. 
he will reprove. That means he's going to tell us something's wrong. And when the Holy Spirit tells you something's wrong, he's not going to be broad about it. He's going to be very direct. He's going to be kind. You know, he's a faithful witness. He's going to be kind, but he's going to be specific. He's going to say something about how you spoke to your husband. Right? He's going to say something about how you spoke to your wife. He's going to say something about how you treat your children. He's going to talk about what you put on your plate. He's going to talk about what you watch with your eyes. He's going to talk about how you think with your, with your thoughts. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, he's going to reprove. And he's going to be patient. He's not going to blow, blow up everything all at once because we wouldn't be able to handle all the mess that we got going on. But he's going to be patient and intentional as he exposes our need of Jesus. That's his job. But not only does he reprove, the Bible says he then begins to instruct. It says in verse number, verse number, it says of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Verse nine, of sin. Why of sin? Because they believe not on me. So when someone rejects, so the reason why somebody ultimately will reject Jesus is because they don't think they need him. Like, why would I need a savior? I'm a good person. I tell people all the time, good people don't go to heaven. Only saved people go to heaven. I'm a good person. No, it doesn't matter if you're a good person. Only saved people go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And so of sin, why? Because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, why? Because I go to my father and you see me no more. So, so what is that saying? I go to my father and you see me no more. That means you can't see Jesus as he's walking every day. He is the epitome of righteousness. He is the epitome of goodness. He's the epitome of all that is fair. And since we can't see him with our eyes, now the Holy Ghost comes and says, you will hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, walk ye in it. Right. Does the scripture say that? Isaiah 23, 26, verse three. You will hear a voice behind you say, this is the way walking in. And the Holy Ghost tells us what we are to do. But when we reject God, we reject this Holy Spirit. Then we're out here kind of just doing our own thing. Of sin. Of righteousness and of judgment. Judgment. Judgment belongs to God, brothers and sisters. It doesn't belong to us. He gives us wisdom beyond our normality when we are connected with him. But you and I have lacked judgment for so long outside of Christ. I know for me, in, in many areas of my life, when I try to do it myself, my way, bang, bang, no, no, <laughs> just bad idea. Many heartaches, unnecessary pain, because I have my own machinations in my mind. No, I, I I want to be leaning on Jesus. So the Holy Ghost is given. When the Father and the Son are one, you will see it manifested. When the Holy Ghost comes, he will prove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, let's press forward. I see I have a few minutes left. Let's press forward. I want to I want to get to a place here. Let's go to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. 
Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, and we will begin reading at verse 44. Luke 24, verse 44, the Bible says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Well, that's powerful. <laughs> Jesus is saying that everything that's happened, you can find in the law of the prophets, the Psalms, and they're all written concerning himself. Now watch the next part that's so powerful. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said thus unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Pause for a moment. Do you realize what I just read? Jesus, when he raises from the dead, of course, they touch the, the holes in his hands or whatever, whatnot. And he literally says, don't believe me just because I'm saying it. He said, let's have a Bible study. He literally opens the Old Testament and walks through the Old Testament, explaining to them why he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. I would have loved to be there while Jesus gave this Bible study. There was no New Testament, brothers and sisters. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. There was none of that. There was no book of Revelation. There was no Gospels. Jesus is literally teaching from the Old Testament to prove that he is the Messiah, that he must suffer, that he must bear the sins of mankind. And so I wonder, I mean, again, we're talking about to know God, right? To know God. To know God is to have eternal life. I wonder how many of us have gone through the Old Testament and from the Old Testament alone can prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Just from the Old Testament. I think we should do it. I think it will be fun. And I think as you do that, the Holy Spirit will guide you through the same passages that Jesus used to explain to the disciples why he was who he said he was. That'd be powerful. But let's go further. Watch this. Verse 46, and he said unto them, thus it is written, thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among, what's it say? All nations beginning at Jerusalem. So repentance and remission of sins for all nations. So every nation must repent. Every nation. What's your nation? That nation needs to repent. What's my nation? My nation needs to repent. Repent. Well, how do we come to repentance? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repent. So watch what happens next. And ye are my witnesses of these things, verse 48. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What is the promise of the Father? Well, that's the Holy Ghost. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So there's the command. Wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Remember, the Holy Spirit is with them, but not yet in them. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wait. Don't rush ahead. Wait. Don't go try to do an evangelistic meeting yet. Wait. Don't run to do a Bible study with someone else to teach them the gospel. You need to wait. Wait. Okay. Stay with me. What were they to do when they were waiting? 
book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts. I'm going to read Acts chapter chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Actually, start at chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 4. And then we're going to go to chapter 2. And then I have something to read to you. And then I'm going to go to another verse and another verse. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. The Bible says... And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Holy Ghost comes unto them, upon them, and then they are going to go preach. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Pay attention. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord, one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice, they are filled now. So the Holy Ghost is not just with them. At this point, the Holy Ghost is in them now remember now we read in john chapter 14 what was what was transpiring in heaven in order for this to be manifested on earth what was transpiring in heaven for this to be manifested on earth because we're reading here the holy ghost is in the disciples jesus literally said when xyz happens then you'll know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Now watch, 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 watch. So the Holy Ghost is upon them. Jump all the way down to verse 29. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. And hopefully you're, you're tracking with me. You're tracking with me. We're talking about being one, that we all may be one. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Watch, 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 watch. Men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you of the of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, 
that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, here's the key, here's the key. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. You get it? So here it is. Jesus is in the heaven. He ascends into heaven and he goes before the Father. The Father sees the Son, the Son and the Father, the Father now and the Son agree that Jesus has accomplished his work. And something special happens. But before I get to that special, I want to read something to you. This is from a book called Acts of the Apostles. And it's on page 36. And it's on page paragraph one. I'm going to read it to you. And you just mark out the preparation that the disciples did for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Acts of the Apostles, page 36, paragraph 1, says this. As the disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise, they humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. Step one, we're waiting. Like you and I are waiting for the outpouring of the latter rain, the outpouring of God's spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Step number one. Humble hearts and true repentance. But you can't repent if you don't see the goodness of God. <laughs> repentance and confess their unbelief. Do you have unbelief? I told you part of my unbelief. Do you have unbelief? Like literally, are there things that God has promised that you really think, I'm not sure. You need to confess that. Need to be honest with God. God, God it's funny because God's not like He's not like He's not like us. He's better than us. Like if you tell Him the truth, He's not gonna quit. Like He's persistent. If I tell other people the truth, they don't want to talk to me no more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to talk to him. But with him, you can be honest, you can be open, you can be true, you can be transparent. You can literally tell God, God, I don't like you. I don't understand your rules. I don't understand why the church is so dead. I don't I don't understand. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like I don't like her either. I don't like it. You can be honest with God. And what God rewards with your honesty is a true revelation of himself. And he's okay with you being honest with him. But when he's honest with you, you better be okay with that too. Amen. <laughs> Because he's honest, too. He's honest, too. First step, they waited. They humbled the, their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. Then it says, as they called to remembrance the words that Christ has spoken to them before his death, they understood more fully their meaning. Well, that's interesting. So they, they were contemplating the words of Christ. Well, maybe that should be something that we do, right? Well, we talk about everything else but Jesus' words. 
Why don't you take time to really go over the words of Jesus? What did he say in his life? What did he do in his life? Let that be something that's in the forefront of your mind as you're washing your dishes or as you're or cleaning your car, as you're doing your grocery shopping or as you're doing your work at, at your job. Let, let the words of Christ kind of just be just there contemplating those words. It says. Truths which had passed from their memory were again brought to their minds and these they repeated to one another. So they spoke it to each other. They're sharing with each other. Then it says, they reproached themselves for their misapprehension of the Savior. Like a procession, scene after scene of his wonderful life passed before them. Hmm. How often do you contemplate the life of Christ? We're told, we're told a simple instruction, contemplate the life of Christ an hour each day especially the closing scenes. When you do this, your spiritual life will be revived. A love will be awakened. Just a thought for an hour each day. Not It didn't say 10 hours, just one hour contemplating the life of Christ. One hour, that's it. It says, it goes on to say, as, uh, as they meditated upon his pure, holy life, they felt that no toil could be too hard, no sacrifice too great, if only they could bear witness in their lives to the loveliness of Christ's character. Oh, if they could but have the past three years to live over, they thought, how differently they would act. If they could only see the master again, how earnestly they would strive to show him how deeply they loved him. And how sincerely they sorrowed for having ever grieved him by word or an act of unbelief. But they were comforted by the thought that they were forgiven. And they determined that so far as possible, they would atone for their unbelief by bravely confessing him before the world. Then it says, these days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. It goes on. So what did they do? Contemplated the life of Christ, reflected on the words of his teaching. They reviewed them, shared them with each other. They, they, they searched their own heart. They, they repented and they confessed their sins. That's what we should be doing right now. There's a song that says nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear, right? Let nothing between. What are you letting between you and your Savior? What is robbing you of your time with him? This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I pray not for the world, but I pray for them who, who, who you have given me out of the world. They are not of the world, but they are of the word. These people, these are the ones that are supposed to reflect the character of God. They'll know you're my disciples by your love. So what do we see on the day of Pentecost? We see Jesus and the Father 
and the Father in Jesus, and then Jesus and the Father in the person of his saints through the power of the Holy Ghost. And that power in the midst of the people of God is, one day I was doing this study, I have this study called the Glorious Holy Mountain. Maybe one day, you know, I'll reteach that. But in the study, one day I was studying and uh, a passage was presented to me. I don't know how it got to me. I don't know where it came from. The Holy Ghost was just got in, got in the study. And I came across this passage. I want you to see it. It's in Psalms, one night, Psalms 133. And this goes directly with what we're studying. Watch this. Psalms 133. Notice what it says. Behold, <laughs> behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, what's it say? Unity. Watch what else it says. It is like, what is it like? It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. Pause. Okay, who's Aaron? Aaron is a high priest. Aaron is the brother of Moses. He's the high priest. So let's read this again. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like, what is it like? It is like precious ointment upon the head. What? What ointment? We're talking about oil. We're talking about oil. So it's like oil upon the head of Aaron. Who's Aaron? He's the high priest. So brethren together in unity looks like the high priest being anointed. Stay with me. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. Wait a second. What kind of what what level of oil has to be poured out in order for it to run off somebody's beard and go off their clothes? Like, would it be like a, you know, you know, a little drop on the head? Or would it, it'll, it would have to be a lot, right? Copious amounts. It would have to be copious amounts poured upon the head of Aaron, the high priest, and it's dripping. Use your sanctified imagination, brothers. It's just. Off the skirts of his garment. He's full of the oil. Tell me, you guys are smart. What is oil a symbol of in Bible prophecy? What is oil a symbol of? Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So let's read the verse again. Let's start at the verse number one. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the high priest being anointed with the Holy Ghost. It is like oil that runs down his beard off the skirts of his garment. Then it says, look at, look at the last verse. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For, okay, let's, let's do a little bit of science work here. Uh, when I went to school, I learned that dew did not descend. I learned that dew came up from the ground. Is that right? Doesn't dew come up from the ground? Yeah, dew, dew comes up from the ground. It doesn't fall from the sky. Dew comes up. From the ground. Yeah, yeah, it comes from the ground. So this word here, do, is not really do. That 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 word do is actually rain. Stay with me. It's actually rain. So it is like 
oil that comes off his garments. And as the rain of Hermon, and as the rain that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Well, that's interesting. What is Zion? Zion is the church. Zion is the people of God. Jerusalem. That's 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 what that's a symbol of. So watch the imagery. As the high priest is anointed above, the church is anointed below. The oil of the high priest comes off his garments, off his face, and then trickles down like rain on the people. There's a unity between the high priest and the church. As the high priest is anointed, so the church is anointed. So Jesus, when he ascended to heaven as high priest, he is anointed as high priest. And the church below, he said, wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And as they are waiting, he's anointed above as high priest and his church is anointed below. They are one. There's a unity. And as these disciples are anointed with the Holy Ghost and as they are walking in lockstep with God's movement in heaven, they have power. So what do you think the devil wants us to do? Of course he doesn't want us to be unified. Of course he wants you to fight about what skin color you are. Of course he wants to fight about what nation you're from or what country you're from. Of course he wants you to fight with your husband or wife because oneness destroys his whole idea. That's why it's so interesting when you read in Ephesians chapter, I believe it's chapter five, when Paul is writing and he's writing about uh, husband and wives, right? And at, at, at one moment, you're just thinking he's talking about husband and wives. And then when he gets to the end, he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak of Christ in the church. What? What, what just happened? I thought he was talking about husband and wife. Well, have you been married yet? Anybody been married? You, if you're married, you know what I'm, exactly what I'm about to say. Husbands or wives are very different. Amen. God, just keep it like that. We are different. In order for us to be one, Jesus got to be in the midst of that thing because we would drive each other nuts. I promise you. That's a true story. That is a true story. You don't want to admit it? I'm telling you, it's a true story. My wife and I are different. Different. She likes it hot. I like it cold. You know what I mean? Like, different. So somebody got to compromise. Somebody got to have Jesus in their heart. Right? So in order for these two different people to be one, there's something supernatural that has to take place. Jesus has to be the center of that experience or else we're going to kill each other. And if we have that problem in the home, how much more does the church have the problem? How are we going to make a unified church and we don't have unified homes? So what, so what should we do? We should focus on the home first. What can we do to come together in the home first? Can we pray together? Can we ask Jesus to be the center of that home? Can we confess as husbands that we've probably been a little stubborn, pig-headed? Hmm? Can we confess as wives that we kind of want to do our own thing? We want to call you husband, but we really want to do our own thing. Can we confess? 
Hmm? See, it's, 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 in, it's in this beginning in the home that the oneness starts and that oneness in the home. Now we have, we have people that know how to do it in the home. Then we know how to do it in the church. But you can't do it in the church if you can't do it in the home. That they may be one. That's Christ's prayer. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us. That the world may believe. The world will never believe until they see a demonstration of this love amongst the people of God. We can preach until the cows come home. But until it's demonstrated, the world will never believe. I want the world to believe. I want sin and its results to be done with. I don't want to continue living a hmm type of life. Not interested in that. I, I believe and I pray that God gives me more belief, but I believe what the book says. I believe that he's coming soon. But I know that there is a part that we must play, we must come into cooperation with, we must press together. And the reason why you got to press together is because the enemy definitely wants to pull you apart. Husband and wives, the devil hates us. Pull it apart. Church family hates that. Pull it apart. And when you see the devil doing that, you should get on your knees immediately. Pray, ask God, Father, what can I do? Where can I surrender? How can I help? How can I be encouragement? The spirit of reconciliation. And sometimes, the real is, sometimes folks got to go. Some things can't stay. Because it won't bring unity. If I, if I think about this, again, I use something extreme so you can get the point. But just think about this for a moment. Let's just say I had a second wife, which I don't. So please don't say I do. I don't have a second wife or a mistress or anything of that nature. But let's just say I did. And I told my wife, guess what, sweetie? You know, I, I love you. And, um, you know, six days out of the week, I want to spend with you. I just want to spend one day with this other woman. It's just one day. It's not that many. It's just one. Um, how many of you guys would think she would go for that? Probably, probably not. Right. Just probably not going to get done. Okay. Let's, I, I know that's probably extreme. So let's just, let's break it down further. Sweetie, uh, you know, I love you, girl. And uh, how about I just spend six days and 23 hours with you? And I only spend one hour with this other woman. How about that? Is that okay? Is that something we can agree on? I mean, compromise, you know, we all got a needs. It's not going to happen, right? <laughs> Why do we do that with God? We expect more from our human relationships. We expect more from our human relationships. And we treat God like he's a side piece. We can't be one until we learn how to be one with him. And my encouragement tonight is, hey, he's there. He's ready. He's willing. His job First job of the Holy Ghost is to reprove the world of sin. So if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, praise the Lord. That means the Holy Ghost is doing his job. 
so my prayer, my prayer is, Father, I want to be one with you. Hmm? And as I'm one with you, then I know how to be one with my spouse. And as I'm one with my spouse, then I know how to be one with my children. And it goes out from there. If you don't have children, you don't have a spouse, then pray that I be one with my, my brother and sister in Christ. You understand? If it's, your, if it's your desire to be one with God and with each other, why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. Lord, please, please help us learn what it is to be one with you. Let's get rid of our mistresses. Teach us how to get rid of our pet sins. So there's unbroken fellowship. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for doing abundantly above whatever we ask or think. And we thank you, claiming the merits of Jesus' blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.